Hello and welcome to Heads Together on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and my colleagues are... Victoria Selman. And Barry Forshaw. Uh, we're going to start with the watch list, which is our roundup of those titles that we recommend for the month. Um, so let's start with Barry. Barry, what about your selection for this month? Well, I went with one of the... Um, a man I recently called the Monarch of Tartanois, who is, of course, <laughs> Ian Rankin. And, of course. Uh, he remains amazingly consistent and has been over the years. I can't think of any real missteps in his career. So I chose a heart full of headstones for October and then a far less well-known writer for November who will become better known, I think, Paul Cleave. Right, uh, the pain tourist. And his, his Antipodean. And he, he, there are, there's now a film series, on a TV series en route. Yes. He's a very interesting writer. Do you know him, Paul? Yes, I do, actually. I read um, The Quiet People, his last one. Uh, not this one yet, though. And as you say, there's a TV series coming very shortly of his novel, The Cleaner. I think that's on um, Sky. I also the, believe the he sells course. something like six million books in Germany. Yes. Did he? So he's very popular on, on the continent. He's but he hasn't made it here for some reason. Do you, do you know him, Victoria? Yes. Yeah, I I read the, the previous book, but not this one. Interesting, though, isn't it? How people do well in one, like, and we sort of talk about this in my panel at Capital Crime, how different places respond differently to stories. Well, so the how classic, we, classic uh, is that is Camilla Lechberg. When I first went to do something in Germany, she's known over here as mm. a, another Swedish writer. Yes, right. She is massive in Germany. Absolutely. Mm. Was, I don't know, recently. Uh, mm. The Germans just seem to respond to it in a way that the English so far haven't. Mm. Why do you think that is? Of... What is it about the German market that's so different? Good question, different? isn't it? Yes. Good question. Yeah. I don't know why they, they they do. They were, rather than the British, the first to, to latch on to Nordic Noir. Right. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. No, I don't know the answer to that either. But I think um, they've latched on to uh, French, particularly, for instance, have latched on to American writers that we don't pick up over here. You know, people who don't get book contracts over here at all but can be very popular on the continent. Yes. People like William Boyle now, he is popular here too. Yes. But he's phenomenally popular in France and Germany now and picking up a reputation over there. So um, I don't know whether it's just they have some noir, noir sensibilities because mm. it, it seems to be a certain type of book. Yes. Anyway, I'm but, making that up. I really don't know. <laughs> no, but it would make Probably. sense, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if crime is a reflection of the society you're in, then actually society, different societies are going to respond differently to different crime stories, aren't they? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's very interesting about that is this regional thing. I noticed there was a thing the other day about um, David Young, who's written a book about Hull uh, called Death in Blitz City, a thriller set in World War II. And it's the most popular best-selling book in Hull this year for obvious reasons. Now, he will sell well outside of Hull, but that locality seems to do it. And we're very parochial in this country. We very much go for British authors. And then mm. not so much around the world, and certainly not so much in translation, although it's getting better. Yes. And I think maybe the Germans and French are more open here? to that. Mm. It's getting more we, popular, and translation is getting more popular, but we're, I'd say mm. we're still very parochial. There is one writer who is popular all around the world, and he's a writer in translation. I'll just give you a very quick flash. You may not know this. I'm interviewing Patrice Leconte at the Institut Francais, who is introducing his new film, Maigret, with Gérard Depardieu. I don't think Gérard Depardieu is going to be there, but Patrice Leconte is. And that Maigret seems to be popular in every country. Every country mm. has its own Maigret. And there was a meeting mm. of, of all the actors who played Maigret from Britain, oh, really? America, <laughs> Germany, France, all wearing the, the trench coat and smoking the pipe. So there's something about a character, isn't there? I mean, think about Holmes as well, of course. I mean, 
going further back in time, but how he's just transcended boundary, mm, uh, yes. geographical boundaries. Yes, that's absolutely true. He is, is popular in every... And there's even a hilarious Russian series of films. Which, Apparently, yes. Uh, which, in which everybody wears the check on Watson and Holmes, <laughs> um, about four inches, the squares on the check. It looks like a pantomime send-up. In fact, they're <laughs> not bad, except that they can't be taken seriously because... Let's yeah. talk about London, they step out on the streets of Moscow, and it looks like <laughs> Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear there's a Greek one dating from around about 1910. Mm. So they got in very quick. Right? I have no idea yeah. what the quality's like, however. So. <laughs> How about you, Victoria? What about your choice? Um, I've chosen Queen High, right. which is by C.J. Carey, and it's really fun. It follows on from Widowland, which she brought out ooh, about a year ago now. Does that uh, sound I right? I think so, yes. So dystopian fiction, but set in an imagined um, German-occupied Britain, so Nazi-occupied Britain. And for me, that's that's the thrill of the book. I mean, the story's fun, the characters the characters are fun, but it's really the setting that's that's really grabbing me. And she does it so well, and little little historical details and nuance that just absolutely bring it to life, mm. but are also also completely right. Just sure, I went to the to, uh, I went to the launch of this last week in. Um, and uh, Jane Thin, of course, who is CJ yes. Perry. Yes. And uh, I said to her, well, she's done something, which has been done before. Len yeah. Dayton's done it. Um, yes. You could say Philip K. Dick is the Nazis one. Uh, yes. Robert Harris. Robert she Harris. does something quite different. And, it, and it's a nice idea having Wallace Simpson as the queen. Yes. That's Isn't a it? very clever notion. And female-centric think, as well. So Harris, yes. of course, well, that's, that's the. That's... I think that's the first thing I noticed about the book, because mm. it has... You could say it's a feminist track, but actually it's talking about yeah. the way that Nazis viewed women. And it's something yes. that hasn't been picked up before. And it's really interesting to yeah. see that. The other thing she picks up on, of course, is the use of language. And also this, yes. this yes. the way um, it seems that these kind of regimes are terrified of literature, yes. terrified of ideas and books. Well, in the modern world, we've got a fascinating theme where women are treated appallingly and books are suspicious and to yes. be found. So um, in, in any autocracy, in, any uh, authoritarian regime doesn't like books and generally doesn't like women. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Badly, I, think I think it, it is. is. I don't know about why the women, but I think books is interesting. Actually, there's a line in, in C.J. Carey's book and she talks about imagination being dangerous. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's what books do, isn't it? They, they stimulate thought. Yes. So of course, in a totalitarian regime where you're trying to suppress it, a book is the last thing you want in somebody's hand. Yeah. I chose um, Will Dean's Wolfpack, which for me is the best mm-hmm. of them. I wasn't one who jumped on the bandwagon when he came out with this character, Tuva Moodison, uh, originally. Mm-hmm. But I've grown to like these books more and more, and I think this one's very good. It's his detective, Tuva, chasing after a disappeared woman, and that leads to a sort of survivalist cult. But he definitely has his own angle on it. So that sounds like a fairly familiar scenario, but it's, it's really mm-hmm. well done. I love the way he generates this kind of claustrophobic atmosphere of the mm. small village yet in such a vast place as the north of, of sweden you know and it's uh for me i think this is becoming a must-read series mm, it is mm. it's really grown in esteem that series hasn't it yeah yeah absolutely so we should mention those books chosen by our friends who also help us with the watch list laura wilson of the guardian and ayo Anatade of shots blog and they both chose blue water by leonora natras craig sisterson chose like you barry a heart full of headstones by Ian Ranking, and Maxim Jakubowski chose Queen High, like you, Victoria, and Sonja van der Westhausen and Erin Britton both chose The Tattoo Murder by Akimitsu Takagi, 
and that was translated by Deborah Baum. I also thought it'd be interesting to say a few words about some new books that are out by friends of ours. I'll say that up front, but they are also worthy of our attention. So we have Maxim Jakubowski's book, Death Has a Thousand Faces. Yeah. And this is a collection of short stories, um, original short stories, which I think you pointed out, Barry, in your review. Yes, absolutely. He, he, he reads like no other writer, and he pretty well always has. They, they deal with loss and, um, so I wouldn't say nostalgia, more um, a, a sort of celebration of the past, in a sense, and that seems to run through the, the theme through the stories. Um, another one is that Laura Wilson has her first young adult novel out under the name Jamie Costello, writing under the name Jamie Costello, and that's called Monochrome. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's got a crime theme, but it's definitely a young adult novel. And that's released this month. And Craig Sisterson uh, edited a collection of stories from Australia and New Zealand called Dark Deeds Down Under. Yes. And it's a thoroughly, really thoroughly enjoyable collection of stories. And, and as who better than him when, when he was doing his, um, his book on antipathy and crime fiction? Who better than him to write that? And, and who better than him to edit an anthology like this? Yeah. It's very interesting because some of these writers, you know, like Gary Disher, who's got a reputation over here in Banda Simon. But there are others I know of, people like Rene and, and uh, Danuka McKenzie and so on. And I know of them, but I've never read their writing. So it was really interesting to get into the short stories mm. by people I knew of who I'd never read before. You know? Those writers you've just mentioned owe something of a debt to Craig because he has been this great prosilitizer for He has. <laughs> and he really has done his bit, hasn't he? Mm. Oh, he really has, yes. He's a champion for the cause, no doubt about it. Is he? <laughs> Is he, though? He uses the words um, dark deeds down under. Mm. which is the way we talk about the South, yeah. is that a pejorative these days? Mm. Yes, well, has that fallen out of fashion to say that? Yes, I wonder. Anyway. Think, what makes you think that, though? I'd have thought that was quite sort of marketing and catchy, personally. Yes. <laughs> it but kind of is, it, but at it, the same time, it's a put-down, isn't it? It's the British perspective on down, down under. They're down under. Oh, They're on I top. See. They're down under. Ah, I'm not. I'm not. We'll have to ask Craig, but I'm not saying anything to that effect. <laughs> I, I will ask him because I'm hoping he'll do an episode for Crime Time FM on the Dark Deeds Down Under. Get a few, you know, get a panel together, yes. And, yes. and give us a show. I think that'd be great. Um, well, let's move on then. How about oh, the Christmas debate, Barry? Yes. Well, I think the principal topic may well be the onslaught, the steamrolling <laughs> impact of cozy crime. When we read in the Times that Ian Rankin has drawn attention to the fact that um, a writer, I didn't spot the writer's name, has written a cosy crime novel built around the Antiques Roadshow, which is about <laughs> the most cosy institution on British television, possibly. And surely it's, well, you people say this to me about Nordic War, when does the bubble burst? Mm. When when do people? I when, don't think it will. I don't. When think does it will, Richard Osman stop going straight to the top of the charts? <laughs> when he stops being a celebrity, <laughs> he writes very well, of course. He does. Well. Yes. But, um, but cozy crime has been around forever. I mean, it's you know we look back at Agatha Christie and cozy, and it develops and it still talks about society and people people love it. I just I don't know. For me, one of the, one of the issues with cozy and done well, it's 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 great. Mm. My issue with it controversial moment coming up is all the celebrities jumping on the bandwagon so right. there's another one just now who is it it's not amanda holden is it about to release yes yeah she has hasn't she's written one so, so there's her and um, bob, I, was it bob mortimer just released one yes he's just the one but surely yeah. anyone anyone can write a novel can't they Victoria? well that's a good point because if, if you're a lawyer you know i mean we have lots of lawyers who write books 
Yes. It's quite common to have a first career in a sense because you get to the stage where you you write. You know, mm. um, I think. But also, isn't it? But you mentioned that sculpture with presumed innocence was full of the most superb plotting. Mm. He could do it. And oh, but it was a brilliant book and groundbreaking. It wasn't a bandwagon he was jumping on, so yeah. he was making the bandwagon. He he he, he set the bandwagon rolling. Did he? There you go. That's exactly. He was brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely genius that book. I think, um, I think you're right. We we do, and, and real writers, can we say this, slightly resent the fact that there's always a, a book deal around the corner for a celeb. In fact, I okay, as a real reader, can I say that that's one of the things that bothers me? Yes. I think okay, that's it's, interesting. It's the idea that somebody yeah. gets a book deal because they're a celebrity. Yes. And you know damn well they're going to get in print because they're a celebrity. Yeah. And, that and do very well because it of it as well. suck away from people who are very good, who can't get contracts or don't get very many sales because these books fill up the Waterstones and all the other Amazons. And, and so oftentimes on. those books are ghostwritten as well on top of everything else. Yes. So, so that, you know, you know, that does bother me a bit, I have to admit. I, yes. I kind of, I do have a little bit of dismay every time I hear another comedian. I mean, they took over children's books for a start. Now they're taking over crime writing as yeah. well. Yes. It's, <laughs> but do, they, guys. But do, they, do they have legs though, Paul? So when, See, we need to go into stand-up. We do, you and I. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh at our own jokes, that's the start. (laughs) When Sarah Ferguson wrote the Budgie books, they did very well because she was Fergie. Mm. I I have no idea whether they're still in print and still children read them. I suspect not, but I could be wrong. And that was Mm. that's the first example of badly written celebrity books that people said, Oh, it's only because it's Fergie who's written Budgie Mm. the the helicopter books. Anyway, that debate is coming up on the 6th of December, probably at 7 p.m., but we haven't absolutely finalized the details yet. But we'll give people, obviously, a clear idea when that comes around and we'll start advertising it and uh, letting them know what that's about. But the Christmas debate, definitely not to be missed. Do you think I'll have a difficulty keeping everyone in line again, Paul? It's pretty no, you, difficult you've got time. it fully under control now. Victoria, I was going to say, I hope so. <laughs> Victoria was really tough last year. but We'll, I, all, we'll all come up with our I own was, topics. Yeah, but just throw topics in there. Just chuck them at him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, you will be able to corral them, I'm sure. You know what you're doing. So how about the festivals? Uh, no, yeah, well, festivals, yeah, let's move on to that. Um, we were both at Bloody Scotland, Victoria, yes, we uh, which, which I really enjoyed. I've never seen anything like the torch parade at the start before. That was quite incredible. So It was my was first time at Bloody Scotland, happened. Paul. I thought it was brilliant. It was really fun. There was such an atmosphere, wasn't there? And I yeah. think also because it's such a small town that the town becomes the festival in a way that other places just don't seem to. And it's a wonderful you, you just upset town, everybody who lives there, by the way. It's actually a city. Yes. So, <laughs> oh, gosh, sorry. Which, which, in fact, I did at the very first Bloody Scotland. Where and, I said, and previous capital of Scotland. Yes. So. <laughs> I did say to, uh, I said something like to one of the people on stage, possibly Ian Rankin, what a wonderful historic town this is. And from the audience came a sound oh, in us say, we've been here a while. Oh, dear. And Ian later said to me, they don't want to hear a Sassnack coming coming in praising their town trying to be polite and nice yeah well in my case it's just my lack of geography and knowledge what about you and festivals barry yeah so the uh i've just gone back from cheltenham which i had right, an interesting yes. panel of. i had a nordic noir panel which was my own choice what about that for a luxury Brilliant. they said to me who do you want you can do a nordic noir panel and so i asked for Issa Sigurdardottir and anti and they already had Celia Ulstein, uh, Norwegian. Right. And uh, I asked for those two. 
not only are they really good writers, but they're really good on stage. Victoria knows this. You, yeah. you're, you're only as good as a chair. As the, if you can't get anything from your panel, you're stuck. It's but, it's it's impossible. You need yeah. You and it's funny, isn't it? You can be a wonderful writer, but that doesn't mean you can necessarily stand up on stage. A, yes, anti mine in particularly has got a very dry, very British sense of humour. Eosa <clears throat> also has the killer sense of humour. Um, Celia was very good, although Celia was slightly out of her depth because she hadn't worked with any of us before uh, and didn't. She's quite, only just done a debut yeah, novel, hasn't she? she does, that's interesting. Mm. That it's interesting book Reptile Men was. She didn't quite catch on to the light tone immediately, although I'd hoped right. I tried to clue her in that this would be quite jokey yeah. in life. Whereas those two are not going to take it seriously. No, exactly. <laughs> you know what? You raise a really interesting point because it's all about chemistry for a panel as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you just you need to gel. And it's not just even can the individual speak, but they need to work well together yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Difficult as a programme organiser, actually, to get that balance right. And then, of course, the other the other big festival was one that uh, both Victoria and I were at, but you didn't make, Paul. No, didn't make it this time, sadly, but you did. So tell us about Capital Crime. We clashed. Our panels clashed. We oh. had Basim Khan. It was hilarious. So, Barry, I'm just going to jump here and, and tell ahead. the story. So, so Barry had with him, um, there was Jeffrey Archer, uh, Lucy, Lucy Foley, didn't you, and Claire McIntosh. Right. And Bass and I were worried because we had a slightly smaller panel in a smaller room. But right. We weren't going to get anything like the audience Barry had. So Bass says to me, it's all right, Victoria. We're going to go into Barry's tent. We're going to go up on stage, just watch them kick <laughs> us out. And that didn't quite work, because unfortunately Barry was an earshot when he suggested it. But then his next move, which was fairly genius, and it almost worked, Barry, was to get a Jeffrey Archer to come and be in our audience and watch <laughs> us instead. He was walking off with us. And then the Barry goes, uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, I think you're with us, actually. <laughs> well, it was an interesting panel you were just saying about chemistry between panels. I was. Mm -hmm. To be frank, slightly worried with Jeffrey Archer, a very established best-selling writer, mm. and two much younger women who wrote very different books to the kind of books he, yeah. he wrote. But he was, to give him his due, a real gentleman, and he didn't try to, which I slightly feared, do the alpha male and take over the panel. Um, yeah. Right, and actually, it would have been tricky with those. Well, certainly with with. With, with Claire, I don't think she tolerated that. It wouldn't that, have happened. No, but nevertheless, okay. he, he constantly deferred to them and asked their view, and it was fine. And so That's it worked nice. well. Okay. I must admit I was worried about it because it seemed to me an odd piece of programming to have the, the three people on the same panel. Mm. But the It's very nice when guests are courteous. I've been on panels where I've had the opposite, where I've had other panellists who just want to talk and talk and don't give you any room to speak mm. whatsoever. And well, in Scotland, I mean, I had Sarah Pimber and Harriet Tice and Will Carver. And they're a dream brilliant. team. They're yeah. just a dream team. They, they just work so well together. It was just fun for me to be part of it as well. So that was great. Well, But you know what, Paul? I bet it was you who made it. I really believe the moderator makes the panel. It's not just the panel. How much is that going to cost me? <laughs> well. <laughs> you, you get that free, Paul. <laughs> yeah, that was free. That's true. <laughs> In that case, I won't edit you to out of this broadcast then. No, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what, and we, what, we're doing, I should say, we're doing a pre-Newcastle Noir show. Oh, yes. So we're going yeah. to chat to Jackie and we're going to chat to a couple of authors who are there. Um, I'll be at Newcastle Noir, but I don't think the information has been released yet. So I can't exactly say what we're doing, but we are doing something uh, quite unusual with one of the panels. Yeah, so, sounds pretty good. Watch, this, watch space. this space. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's the wonderful Jackie Collins, who's, um, whose baby it is. Oh, mm -hmm. brilliant. Some, something of a force of nature is Jackie. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, they, they've, and they've got some great stuff going on. They really have. I should they really care Paul, about this within the local community. If you haven't done it before, Paul, I have to tell you the first time I went, 
a young woman from Newcastle. You don't quite know yet, Paul, do you, how they dress, do you? I thought you were going to say whether it was a town or a city, but right. <laughs> so I, I was given a, a, how can I put it, an exhibition of the thong she was wearing. Uh, was uh, I wasn't quite sure how to react. She, she sort of pulled up her skirt. And I said to Jackie, uh, you can leave this in, it's not too controversial. <laughs> I said to Jackie later, what was going on there? And she said, you were a, a male. Um, she was out on the town. I said, yeah, but a middle-aged male, a man certainly old enough to be her father. And she said, it doesn't matter. You were male. So Newcastle is a, is a fascinating place. It's a historic British town, but it's also rather like my hometown, Liverpool, with young women dressed in minimal amount of clothing, shall we say, whatever the weather. My only comment on that then is that they are hardy souls in Newcastle. In Definitely December. hardy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's where diplomacy comes in. Um, so how about the podcast then, Victoria? Tell us about your podcast recently. Recently? Well, it's been a cracking season so far, actually. So we've had uh, David Badarchi and Linwood Barkley. I've had Val McDermott and Ruth Ware, which both brilliant discussions. Uh, last week, I had on uh, Charlotte Philby and Luke Jennings, who is the author of Killing Eve. Yes, fascinating. Really great. Really, really fascinating. Yes, absolutely. We talked about Harry, we talked about Villanelle's wardrobe, we talked about Rise of Spy Fiction. It was brilliant. And coming up this week, depending on when we're airing this episode now, so our next, my next episode. Your next say, episode is out as we speak, as we will. Oh, golly. Public. So there you go. Whoops, I should have publicized that one today. Right. My next episode, let's say, is out. And it is Zoe Sharp and David Penny talking about self-publishing, which for me is fascinating. I'm not a self-published author and I'm always in awe of people. Who do I, I have to say there was so much really interesting stuff and knowledge I learned from this. Yes. About how books are sold on Amazon, how you advertise yeah. it falls and the joys of, of publishing your own stuff. You know, it's, it's actually a truly fascinating, certainly for anybody who mm. wants to publish a book. Mm. worth having a look at this but also i'd say even for people who are traditionally published yes. because there's so much still that we can learn from people mm. doing it themselves i think no i totally agree with that i must um, i have to ask you both a question as you do so many of these i think i'm busy in terms of the number of authors i interview <laughs> i'm just a, these days a beginner compared to you both now that you're both very busy people the time it takes to prepare for these interviews because you have to do your homework you do and um how the hell do both of you find the time you know what? Right now I'm writing my next book and I've actually had to pause the interviews, but I'm always quite lucky, Barry, because I I always have a lot in the bank. So that's why I hesitated for a moment about who I've got upcoming, because, of course, they've been recorded a while ago. Mm. Um, but you know what? I don't know about you, Paul, but I found them a wonderful break. So they're a palate cleanser between, you know, writing and whatever else I'm doing. And it's yeah, great absolutely. just to share ideas and get stimulated by the people. Yeah, I'd say probably that some of my writing's gone by the board. By mm. the interviews, you know, but I absolutely love interviewing authors, mm. and these yeah. these chats are just fantastic. You know, I mean, my yeah. last three have been with people who've all got uh, sort of another career in line or other writing thing. Trevor Wood, for instance, wrote mm. a play twenty years ago that's still on the stage somewhere now. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, well. a play about three um, cleaners, three aged cleaners who set up huh. a sex line, <laughs> and. One of the clever things about it is it can be adapted to any region. So you make the jokes local. So yeah. it can keep going around theatres all over the world. And is that what he does? He just so, sort of localizes Well, you know, them. people take it locally from him and they can make their adaptions so that it sounds, it's got that How local fun. feel to it. So it's very clever that way. That's but also clever. John Brownlow, who's a Hollywood scriptwriter, um, mm -hmm. now written his first novel and it's a, a real crash bang wallop, high octane thriller called 17. 
and mm. just recently Anthony Johnston. Um, uh, and that's that came out a few days ago, and that's a that's a fantastic interview because we range across so much. He was into mm. he's a, he writes for games, he does graphic novels, yes, um, he does screenplays, and his his story, The Coldest City, was turned into Atomic Blonde, which starred Charlize Theron. Mm. And he's on, um, he's on speed dial to Charlize Theron. <laughs> well, I think you'd like to. <laughs> well, I did. I did ask him if he had any interesting stories, and he said no. It was really lovely, but I can't tell you anything. So. <laughs> Yes, in fact, his comics, his writing for comics or graphic novels, if we prepare the more sophisticated phrase, is really good. It is. It's very he's, complex he's, stuff. He's, he's, ext he's extending what that medium can do the way people like Alan Moore have previously done. Mm. He's showing more possibilities in, in, in that medium. Yeah. And, of course, we were chatting about his Bridget Sharp novels now, which uh, is on the third one, The Patriots Network. Um, so fascinating chats. And as I said, there was just so much more about the, the lives of these writers that we were able to talk about as well. Mm. you're a brilliant interviewer i mean when you and i talked about true dark deeply when it was coming out this is going to cost me a fortune isn't it? it's <laughs> going to cost you it is but no but you're brilliant I've, i wanted you to be paying you it was, it was I, I would, i'd second that victoria when the interview yeah. uh, paul did with me for my simonon book yeah was probably the best i got it was I'd amazing it was amazing yeah because he makes you think doesn't he he's not just a lot of time in interviews it's almost you can almost answer them yourself i can't really tell from this camera whether paul's blushing or not but <laughs> You can't because the sun's shining right. I actually have a sun here at the moment, and I'm in a, a bay window. I turned the table around the other day, so I was sitting facing into the room, and all you could do, it looked like um, just a black figure. All you could see was the outline, and I thought, no, I better, people had better be able to see something of me when we something. do the chat, I think that, so. yeah, might be a good idea. <laughs> what about, I think, just a couple of issues to finish off. One that interested me, when I talked to Trevor Woods, he mentioned second novel, and there's a lot of talk about second novel syndrome, but he particularly picked up on this one point. And this is something I've mentioned before, but what Trevor was saying was that when you write a second novel in a series, nobody actually tells you sort of how you get enough detail in there to satisfy new readers sort of, of the previous story and uh, to fill them in on the characters. And at the same time, don't discourage readers who've already read the first book by giving them too much information that they already know, although they probably do want a recap. Mm. And he said that those first 10,000 words of his novel were the most difficult, second novel, were the most mm. difficult for that very reason. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. But actually, well, that's interesting, actually, because I, the people I interested, one of the panel, my capital crime panel, was Jeffrey Deaver, Mike Rotham, and Mark Billingham, who, of course, all write series. And they all have that issue. And I have to say, Deaver handles it brilliantly. You can pick up a Deaver book, and there's information in it about the characters without you realizing you're being given the information mm. these broad brush strokes and it's just so artfully done it's it's, it's brilliant and i and he's written how many in that in that lincoln rhyme series 20 oh, books yeah. something like that yeah. in fact but, you, you mentioned yeah. earlier victoria cj carey mm. and i in fact read the second book mm. and she did say to me it would have been better if you'd read the first one but it was self-contained and it she, was. she freighted in just enough information so that you thought, mm. I'm, I, I didn't need to read the first one. Interesting, because actually I was finding myself, I did read the first one and also enjoyed it. And reading the second one, because it came out a while later, I was forgetting and trying to recap and couldn't quite remember where I was. So it's definitely a difficult balance. You've got to, you've got to meet both, both types of readers' needs, haven't you? Yeah, I just thought it's a very interesting issue. You know, so much props up when you're doing interviews. Mm. You get these little things that come aside and you can't kind of divert fully onto that subject. Mm. You want to stick with the book and so on. But 
Um, yeah, he was saying that for him, that was one of the most difficult things about writing that second book was just getting this idea of getting that right. You know what, though? It can work the other way. So for me, I've, as you know, I wrote a series before True Darkly yes, Deeply right. now, and True Darkly Deeply is a standalone, and I'm working on the next book from that. And it is also a standalone. But there's a se- there's still the whole second book syndrome that comes from it because people reacted in a certain way to the other book, and you have the weight yeah, of that right. on your shoulders. Mm. And my editor has a wonderful expression. She says the same thing in a different color. So you have this idea of there's a feel you want to create, and are you you know it's, it's everything you're trying to get in there, and yet you're still telling a new story, you're still bringing in new characters. And I have to say, it's been a much hard. I mean, I hope this <laughs> be okay, but it's a harder book to write for sure. There's another there's another element which is tricky. I recently mm. did a panel and it came up second novel syndrome. Mm. Entirely within my view, sitting on about the fourth row back, and I'm not going to mention the name, was a novelist who had a fantastic first novel hit right. and fell at the set post of the second one. Oh, really? And that was really tricky. And it made me think, yeah, there is that pressure on you as a writer, mm. real yeah. pressure. Yes. And everybody in the book trade knows if somebody fell at the second hurdle. There are at least mm. two examples of it that we can talk of. We can all think, mm. yeah. Celebrated novelists who have a fantastic game. Yes. And there's the pressure because you made such a hit with your first book. Exactly. How do you do it with the second book? I think particularly for a debut as well. When you're writing your debut novel, you don't have a deadline. You probably don't even have an agent. So, I mean, you do it completely. You know, it could take you years if you wanted to. And, and you don't probably- have the pressure. That's what I'm saying. You don't have the mm. pressure, exactly. And possibly it's an idea anyway that's been brewing for years. By the time you're writing your next book, you have a, well, we say a year to deliver. It's not. It's a year till it's on the shelf. So you've probably got about seven or eight months to actually write the thing, probably mm. less. And that's a completely different mindset. Yes. Yes, it is. Just one other thing then before we go, just this Val McDermott con- controversy that we had recently about Queen of Crime. And you actually got you involved in that, that title, Barry, Barry? Yeah. <laughs> it was my, I think um, David Shelley rang me up from, her publisher said, do you mind if we use that officially? And I said, no, no, go ahead. Uh, and who knew that it would be? But I was in uh, Cheltenham. Let's think where I was. Yes. Uh, and the phone call came from BBC Radio Scotland saying, mm-hmm. we believe it's you that gave Val McDermott this. And then it had broken this fuss of the supposedly the Christie estate saying she cannot use the title. Oh, supposedly, uh, so it's not definitely true then. It is from them, but uh, but okay. everything was kind of murky at that point. And okay. I said, well, yeah. It wasn't and like they, threatened legal action or anything. Yeah. Okay. And they did say, well, I said, the answer simply is that we now have a new king because the queen is dead. So as soon as a monarch dies, somebody mm. else, so Agatha Christie's is sui generis. Nobody will replace yeah. her as the final queen of crime, but we need somebody new. That's a today. really clever answer. But yeah. I think the Christie estate made a real mistake in terms of one of the things they said, at it, if you saw this. They said that every time Val McDermott is called the Queen of Crime, it hurts the sales of Agatha Christie. No, yeah. I wish I believe that. People, <laughs> they're, they're does very anybody believe writers. that? No, not, not for a second. When somebody sold two billion books. Well. Yes, exactly. You, you know, and as well, I think there's, amongst authors, there should be a, a helping each other up the ladder as well. Yes. And, Yeah. I mean, it's, all, like it's a kind of shorthand, but anything that helps yeah. people get sales is great. You know, anything yes. that kind of boosts the general book. trade. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we should be supportive of each other, I think, yes. rather than protective. Which the crime, which crime genre generally is, is it not? It's a very supportive medium. It I is. I think for the most part it is, yeah. Especially when it comes to the bar after at a beer, at a festival. <laughs> beer festival. It felt like a beer festival, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. they are. They do feel like that. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening to Heads Together. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.
<laughs> we are the three Ronnies. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye now. <laughs> <laughs>